Danger Talk, Season 1, Episode 7, right here with Matthew McConaughey. This episode of Danger Talk is sponsored by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Well, 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 another week that the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson are undefeated. I know that uh, I know that it's a bye week, but I'm I'm counting it. You're still the champion of the NFL. How you feeling, Russ? Hey, listen, we're the boys are five and zero. We got a we got a, a great matchup this week against an NFC West opponent opponent in the Cardinals. Uh, it's the battle of the short quarterbacks, <laughs> and uh, I'm excited about it. But it'll be it'll be a great game, and uh, we got a lot of respect for these guys. They play they play tough football. They play fast. They they're really good. So it'll be a great game for sure. For sure. I know that uh, you know most people take that bye week and they go they go hang out with the family. I'm sure you did that. You said you were going to do some date nights, all this different stuff. But you are Mr. Media this bye week. You did like a thousand different podcasts and TV hits. Uh, come on, man! You got to take take a little time, take a little take a little break. What, what, how'd you spend your bye week uh, when we weren't watching you on all this stuff? Well, well, normally, Joe, Monday, Monday, like normally, I, I we travel outside the country. We go to Mexico or whatever, and uh, you know, we we kind of hang down there. But you know, this time, you know, because of COVID, we had to get tested every freaking day. So, you know, for me, you know, what we did is we just stayed here, um, tucked away here. But what I did was really Monday through Thursday, I got all the hard work and busyness out of the way, did a bunch of interviews, a bunch of calls, all that stuff. And, you know, we did we did awesome, uh, you know, Bill Simmons podcast. That was amazing. A great conversation, um, you know. And so that was really, really, really cool to be on his podcast. And I asked him some questions about, you know, how. How can our podcast grow like that and just learning from that? But also we talked about success, legacy, the treatment of of just your mind and how you take care of yourself. And so it was a busy week, but then we had pumpkin patch, things Saw slowed that. down. Uh, you know, you got to bring the pumpkin patch <laughs> yeah. to your house sometimes. And so we had the pumpkin patch, we had the pumpkin patch at the home. And and then fast forward, uh, you know, fast forward, we had a, a nice little um you know, I, I have this new truck. And so, you know, I put the great, we had three great Danes. So we put the great Danes in the back, took the kids and we drove to Eastern Washington, got the truck all muddy. Kids got out near the lake and the river and had a good time with some uh, close family friends, my, my, my business partner, Charlie Martin and his kids and family. So we, we had, we had a great time. Yeah, it looked fun. I was uh, watching your Instagram. You guys were making little Halloween houses, little gingerbread houses and stuff like that. The pumpkins, it looked like a good time. How do you find like that balance during the season? Yeah, I think, you know, compartmentalizing the days, to be honest with you, Jeff, I think, you know, for me, you know, Friday is always date night. That's the first thing. Uh, we always have our date night on Friday. I make sure that we get our one-on-one time. And then, you know, the days in between really, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays, really in particular Mondays are, are more for the family and just kind of Monday afternoons and stuff like that. Tuesdays are really getting ready for treatment and getting your body ready and getting just studying all the film. And then Wednesday, Thursday is all work related. And then uh, Saturday is kind of uh, chill Saturdays where I kind of hang out with the family, the kids. And I got to take, uh, you know, future out to, to for grounders and turn some double plays and have some fun out there. And, nice. you know, you know who was actually, uh, you know, future's baseball coach. You know who it is? It's it's oh. Hut, it's Hutton Moyer, Jamie Moyer's son. So, oh, wow. so I mean, we got, uh, he taught him how to throw a, a 48 mile an hour fastball. <laughs> no, well, Hutton played pro, pro baseball. So he, he's got it. He's got the fungo game down for any baseball nice. listeners out there. He's got he's got a sweet fungo game. So it was good, though. Just uh, a lot of family time. And then obviously we watch the games. And you know, what's weird, Jeff, is as I sit there watching games, it, I yell at the screen. <laughs> more than I you can ever imagine. I, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm such a childish fan sitting there yelling at the screen versus normally, 
you know, for me, I, I'm over there. I'm trying to be cool, calm and collected. But when I'm a right. f- fan at home, it's not good. I love that, though. I, th- I would love to see that just because, like, you know, I'm jumping around and I'm a very animated guy all day in my life. And, and I get rewarded for it and I get I get uh, credit for it because I'm a comedian. But we see you on the sideline, man. It's just all business. You're just all calm and collected. Even if you're stressed out, you've said you have been you'd like you still you play it so cool. Um, have you actually, speaking of that, have you taken any time to like revel in the Seahawks early success? Have you been excited? Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think, listen, I think we've been passionate. We've been fired up, but there's a lot more season ahead of us. You know, I'm, I'm remaining neutral, you know, and just, we got a long ways to go. I, I've been playing this game, as you know, this is my ninth year and, uh, you know, where we're trying to go, it, only one, o- only one team can go. And uh, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of consistency. So uh, it's just the beginning. And I like I like the fact that it's just the beginning. To start off 5-0 is a big deal. Yeah. You know, the first nice. time we've ever started 5-0 in the franchise history. So that's a good thing. And uh, we're, we're on our way. Another Russell Wilson Seattle record. I love it. Uh, when people come to my house, I've got all the pictures and framed crap uh, that the interior person made. But one of the pictures is you and Sierra and me uh, in Halloween costumes at that birthday party. Um, are you a big Halloween guy or is this just, uh, you know, like uh, you just do all the seasons or are you a big costume and Halloween guy? Uh, listen, I, me and C are already like arguing over what the, what our Halloween costume is going to be. We're, we're sitting over here. arguing. Well, I don't think we should be that <laughs> last year. Last year we dressed up as, as Jay-Z and Beyonce, which is pretty cool. So, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're excited about the whole Halloween thing, especially when you have kids, you know, yeah, the yeah, kids, the kids kind of drive everything. So you get excited about that. So, uh, you know, for, for us, we're, we're still contemplating what we're going to be, but, um, you know, I, I get excited for that stuff. I get excited because, especially because of the kids though. Yeah. I'm a, I'm like a little kid. I'm like costumes, candy, let's do this. Um, <laughs> Hey, how jacked up are you for our guest right now? I'm fired up. I think it's going to be a special, special show. Um, he's got a new book. He's got a lot of things going on in his world and he's been amazing. He's been one of my favorite people that I've ever admired. He loves sports. He loves it all. So I'm excited about it. I know, I know our, all of our fans at danger talk are fired up about it too. Uh, we've had some amazing guests, obviously, you know, danger talk, you know, season one, episode one, we had Shaq, we episode two, we had John David Washington, then Randy Moss, uh, talking about Bill Belichick, you know, uh, you know, cussing him and Tom Brady out to Chris Paul to Candace Parker and, and so many more. But uh, this one's this one's uh, this one's special. This one's really special. I'm, so. I'm excited to see if he lost a ton, like an insane amount of weight to do our podcast. You know, I'm wondering if he just shed off 140 pounds to do to do this episode. That's what I'm excited <laughs> to see. Well, he's done it before, and I think he's won some major awards for it before. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, this will be a good one. This is this is one of my all time favorites for sure. Same, same. So our guest today is an Oscar-winning actor. You've seen him in movies like Mud, Wolf of Wall Street, Interstellar. Uh, one of my all-time favorite TV shows, True Detective, which is actually me and Sierra's like favorite, favorite show. He's a father to three and a huge, huge Texas Longhorns fan. I know my guy Diggs is going to be fired up to have you. He's already been talking about it, waiting to hear the show and listen to our podcast. But here to discuss his new book, Green Lights, is the one and only Matthew McConaughey. Matthew, you there? I'm here. What's up, What's bro? up How brother? You doing? How you doing? We're doing man? well, man. Relatively good, man. We got to we're kind of hunkered down. Got my mom, who's 88 years old, living with us for the last seven months. The three kids are healthy. Uh, we're cooking a lot. We spend a lot of time in the kitchen and doing the deal. Yeah, I, I hear. I, I hear your. Uh, I hear your your son Livingston is a, is a huge Seahawks fan. A huge fan. You know, I, I got to get him some gear. 
He that 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 young man will, will be where would wear your gear in a second. He, you're his favorite quarterback by 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 far. We imitate he imitates you on in the back lawn all the time when we're throwing passes. So so you but can, can Matthew you... McConaughey wear Seahawks gear? What's you what's your team, Matthew? I am a Washington football team. Uh, what does that even mean? I was have been since I was four years old. Now, trust me, let me take you way back, just so you know that I'm not. And as you know, how how the Redskins have been doing over the last however many years, obviously I'm not fair weather. Um, <laughs> I was uh, the first game, last game at RFK, first game at Jack Kent Cook. I have a mason jar full of uh, burgundy uh, soil from the end zone at RFK. I was in the first game at FedEx Field. I was on the sidelines, wrapped up in a chamois, painted burgundy with the headdress at eight years old in Texas Stadium on the 50-yard line. All right. So and that was in Maybe. Texas where, where, where that team formerly known as the Redskins were not welcome if a doubt. So <laughs> but I am uh, but I am when it goes from there, a quickly a fan of the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson and the coach Pete Carroll. Well, I think we play I think we play you guys like week 14, week 15. Is it week 15? I think it's week 15. We play the Redskins. So, you know, we may have to put a, a you know, I don't know if I can put any wagers on this. Thing. I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to, but if I could, maybe we can. I don't know. I, I got to do some research and see if we can put Dude, a little research. wager You're gonna on this. Have thing, to be right, as it is right now, I'd be a lopsided bet or something. I, I if, <laughs> if, if 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 my team wins, I got to get more than if you if you win. I hear you. Maybe maybe we do it for our foundations or something like that. You, you got your, like that. What's your what's your foundation called again? Just keep living foundation. Just keep living uh, foundation. Yeah. So yeah, cool. it's it's after school title one schools. Um, we give these these young men and women a safe place to go, um, take a physical goal. Meaning, like I couldn't make the soccer team. I can't run a quarter of a mile. Can you help me run? Yes, we do that. Oh, I need to lose three pounds to fit my prom dress. Help them do that. Uh, nutrition goals, take their mom or their parents to the supermarket and say, hey, 45 bucks you spent on cheeseburgers uh, and fries last night. Let's take that 45 to the supermarket, get some rice and produce and meat. The same amount of money, plus you get to go home and cook it with your family. Um, third is they have to do community service. And fourth is there's a halo of gratitude over the whole thing because we believe that the more you're thankful for, the more you will create in your life to be thankful for. You know, one of the things I've always admired about you, uh, Matthew, is just kind of how you've always given back, you know, despite all your success, all the things that you've been able to do. Uh, you know, that's kind of the number one driver that I always kind of have witnessed from 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 back here, you know, sitting here up in the Pacific Northwest. I've always kind of witnessed right. that about you. And so that's what I I love and just your vision of of giving back and doing good and all that. So um, it's pretty cool. So just well, wanna, as you, you know, man, I mean. It's a reciprocitous thing. It 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 it, it revolves back and, and and feeds ourselves. You yeah. know, I, I even venture to say that 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 the most selfless acts are actually the most selfish mm-hmm. acts. Um, sometimes, it, if we can find that place where our selfish acts, what we want to do for ourselves, uh, can is also what happens to be what's best for the most amount of people. That's really the honey hole of making the choices. And those two, you know, a lot of times people pull those two and separate them. Oh, you can't be selfish. You have to be selfish or selfless. And I think there's a spot where choices we can make. And I think when people understand that in the long money, that being more selfless actually does pay us personally back. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've seen you, I've seen that in you as well. And it's one of the reasons I'm, I'm happy to be in there chatting with you, your, your perspective on such things. 
Well, I'm excited to, to, you know, to dive into this just because, you know, there's so much success, there's so much uh, conversation that we can have about this. And so we're going to start a new segment right here. I'm not sure if you've been watching ESPN or not, but there's this whole thing, but we're, we're going to call it cooking with Russ, where we talk about legacy. We talk about well, exactly what you're talking about, how to, yeah, you had how, how to just, you know, continually to, you know, keep doing and keep going and keep living and just keep doing what we're doing best. And so I, I think that's a key thing that I know our listeners really want to hear. And so, uh, you know, we're excited about it and just um, diving into this conversation one on one, me and you talking about what that all looks like. So I'm fired up about this. And so uh, Jeff, Dye, Jeff Dye will be right back here soon uh, with his dog over there and, and we'll have some fun and, and continue the conversation. But, uh, you know, first of all, I think about your dad, you know, diving into this, uh, you know, cooking with Russ here, you know, talking about your dad, your dad played for the Green Bay Packers. Is that true? He was a 27th round uh, draft pick. Um, he he did get on the field, uh, played one year. He said uh, when he looked down on a punt return and saw the bottom of his cleats uh, facing up, um, that 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 was the end of that was the end of that. But he did, yeah, play yeah. for the Packers. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And so, is that where your kind of love of football kind of started? Well. So first, you know, dad went and played. He played under Paul Bear Bryant at University of Kentucky first. Um, he and Bear Bryant had a bit of a falling out. He moved and transferred to the University of Houston where he met. Uh, he met my mom at, at Kentucky, but they got married when he moved over to the University of Houston. Um, you know, growing up in Texas, football was, you know, that's, that's like a religion. You're expected to play football when everyone did. I myself, you know, was, that, that's, there was always a ball, but football was the main ball in the house. I've got two older brothers. Um, that's what was what we did. Um, that's what you got the gear of your favorite team for Christmas, for birthdays, you know, as much as you could get of it. That's what you did in the backyard. I myself, you know, was a bit of a late bloomer. I was the, I was the guy that was really hard to tackle in the backyard, right? And could just drag you down the field. Remember being a uh, 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 Washington football team fan. John Riggins was my guy at that time back when I was that young, right? Yep. Uh -huh. um, so, and then around eighth grade for me, it sort of became, okay, well, where I used to be kind of big, now there's a lot of, a lot of young men bigger than me. And so maybe speed's my thing. No, speed was definitely not my thing. So it became um, uh, something that I, that I played up through eighth grade. And that was about as far as I could go. Yeah, well, I, I think about you know me. I was kind of same way. I, the difference is I had a little bit more speed, maybe, but I, I, I was always bigger when I was younger. And then as I as I got older, you know, I I actually kind of just kind of stayed the same height. I was about five ten, five eleven, and that was kind of just uh, my thing. So everybody said for football, there's no way he can play quarterback, no way he can do this. But you know, I think about you being in Texas and everything else. How'd you choose Texas University of Texas anyway? So I was at the I was at an exchange student in Australia. Mm -hmm. Two weeks out of high school. Yeah. So I go over to Australia for a year. Now, towards the end of that year, I started applying to schools. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer at the time. And I remember uh, applying and getting into SMU in Dallas. And my thinking was, oh, that's where I want to go. It's in Dallas. I'll go to law school. I'll get an internship in the summer early. It's a larger metropolis. I'll be able to get out of law school and get right to work, yep. which is important to me. Um, and... My dad called one night and he always called teams by their, you know, schools by their, by their uh, mascots. He was like, Hey buddy, I know you, you want to be a Mustang, but how about those Longhorns? And I was like, no, dad, I don't want to go to Austin. I want to go to Dallas for the reasons I just told you. And he's like, well, you sure you don't want to be a Longhorn? I'm like, no, I want to be a Mustang. Well, he hangs up. My brother Pat calls me 15 minutes later and says, Hey, 
dad ain't going to tell you this, but the oil business is tough right now. And he's trying not to go bankrupt. And it's going to cost more than twice as much to send you to SMU than it will cost to go to Texas, UT at Austin. And I was like, really? And then he tells me, hey, have you ever been to Austin? I said, no. He goes, you were going to love it. Man. And he told me all the reasons I would love it, which all proved to be true. Anyway, I called that back. I said, I had to change your heart. I want to go to be a, a Longhorn instead of a Mustang. And he's like, oh, gosh, Doug, thank you, buddy. Well, I never told him why that I knew it was helping him financially, but I'm so glad that I did. And I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you with the life I have if I wouldn't have gone to the University of Texas. Isn't that crazy how just one 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 change, one question, one thing can change your life drastically. You know, I always thought I wanted to yeah. be a lawyer because my dad was a lawyer and I always had these, my dad went to Dartmouth and all that. I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Um, but, you know, obviously sports took me in a different direction and life took me in a different direction. And, I, and uh, somehow I ended up at you know, NC State. Then I went to Wisconsin. So just amazing how life can take you on these different turns and everything else. And speaking speaking of that, like you, you've gone from obviously acting and all the amazing things you've done uh, to family and all that. But now you're actually teaching at, at, you know, being a professor yeah. there at UT too. So, you know, what's your teaching style like? And what, what are you teaching, first of all? But what, what's your yeah. teaching style like? like you know, yeah. What would you say that's like? So about 10 years ago, um, you know, I've been acting for now 28, 29 years. And I, I started to notice over my career how different the final product that you see in the theater or you see in your screen is mm -hmm. from the original script. Yeah. There's rewrites. Um, the, the, you, you get more money and you can do more things. You lose money. Um, you have to um, get rid of some of your favorite scenes because they were going to cost too money. Then you get too much money. Then you get in the editing room and somebody who was a main character maybe becomes a smaller character. Some small character becomes maybe a larger role. And then you see the final film. You're like, whoa, that's vastly different than that original script. So I said, how about a class called Script to Screen? where we take serious film students on the journey, show them the science behind the magic of how a script gets to the screen. And all, there's many different ways to skin that cat and show them, give them a little peek behind how, how, how it can happen. Um, so each semester we take uh, the students through a film that I've done and, or I'm doing, and the director agrees, the producers agree, and we show them the original scripts and then we show them the first assembly, then we show them the final picture. And throughout that semester after each script, each student has to get up and declare, well, what do you think about the changes that they made? Do you like them? Is this the movie you would make? No right or wrong answers. Just declare on what do you think those changes, uh, what do you think about those changes that we made along the way? So that's the, the, uh, that's the class. My teaching style is this. I mean, it's odd, you know, and I'm curious how you think about this for yourself. I was, I still am around campus. Yeah. Even when I'm out there around the, the you know, the, the players and the football team, I still think it was like four years ago. <laughs> but and when I do the math, I'm like, no, it was a lot longer than that. So I'll talk to these students like I'm closer to being one of them. And what happened a few years ago is they started going, wait, can you say that again? I got to write that down. And to me, what I thought was obvious from my own experiences they were like, no, that's novel. I've never heard that before. That would be really useful. And it started to dawn on me. Oh, well, I've been doing this for 28 years. Maybe I've gained some knowledge and some experience that is worth sharing. Um, and so when I go in, I, uh, you know, I teach the class, but I also, I also want, I, I don't think the students see me as like something other than, I still feel like it was five years ago when I was in there. I'm just sharing experience that I've had for 28 years with them. I also try to try to push this on, and I'd love to hear what you think about this part is, so you can learn as much as you want. You can be the most studied 
you can be the best on paper, mm-hmm. but you got to have the juice. Yeah. You got to, you got everybody, you know, someone can, can maybe on, on paper know a lot more than somebody else, but if they don't have the juice or the giddy up um, or the, or the hustle to make it happen, somebody with less ability can surpass them. And it happens, you know, in life it happens in sports. You're, yeah. a, I mean, a version. Someone could say, I've told you five, 10 and a half, right? No, no quarterback. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, for me, First of all, I think about me reflecting you're you're on campus and everything. I, I think the same way uh, when I go back to my college campuses, I feel like I'm still in school for some odd reason, and I'm not. Right. Uh, it's been ten right. years out. But what, what's 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 interesting too, going back to where I am right now, you know, obviously being, you know, just you know, 31, being my ninth year, I feel like I'm a rookie every year. I don't know if yeah. you feel that way, but I feel like that- I'm a rookie every year. And that's, that's, that's got to be your mentality. Any, anytime I'm, I'm sure you shoot a movie or, or do a new show or whatever it is, even writing a book, it's the reality is, is that every one of the, one of the goals I wrote down, you know, I was never forget. I was on a flight. I just went to Denver right before my, my, but right before I got drafted, right before the draft. And I was with Peyton Manning. Actually, he was in the locker room. I was in the locker room. We started, you know, sharing these conversations. He's like, Don't I know you from somewhere? I, I said, yeah, you know, Peyton, no, it's kind of embarrassed. I was like, I was at your camp. I was like in 10th grade. He's like, yeah, I thought I knew you, you know, the craziest thing. But, but what's interesting is, is that I'll never forget leaving that locker room and before the draft had happened and the draft was like two weeks away. And I, I wrote down these goals on this long, I don't know, a long flight from Denver all the way to Virginia. And I wrote down, you know, my goals and I wrote down, you know, present goals and future goals and all that stuff. And one of the things that I wrote down, speaking exactly what we're talking about, and I tell the rookies this all the time is treat every day as if it's the first day you've ever heard it. First day you've ever experienced it. Treat every play as if you've never heard the play before. So, you know, to me, that's what being great is about. And then you go back to this other thing that you were talking about is passion and energy and what you bring to the table. Like that's the missing sauce. That's the thing that is, you know, especially in sports, I'm old school in the approach. So it's about the work ethic training, all that stuff, but it's also about about how you treat how you treat others, how you bring everything to get to the table. I I tell guys all the time, you know, every day is a championship day. This is it. Like, you know, every day, it's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. And so that obsession, that wild, wild obsession yeah. with doing it great and doing it right, that's the key. You obsession. Know? And that's it. Obsession is one of my favorite words. I know when I've done my greatest work. Yeah. I am fully immersed and fully obsessed with the moment. So in the process that, for instance, when I do my best work as an actor, and this has happened quite a few times, we get to the last day of filming. And at the end of the day, they go, okay, that's a wrap. And I'm like, okay, I'll see you all tomorrow morning. They're like, no, 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 that's a film wrap. The film's over. And I'm like, what? Wait a minute. Like I did not even, I was not seeing the finish line. I did not see the destination. It's the old Bo Jackson doesn't run across the <laughs> goal line. He runs across through the end zone and up the tunnel. The sniper doesn't aim at the target. He aims on the other side of it. Yeah. And so it's like playing golf. You know, you, 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 you're going to, you, you'll bogey it. That, uh, you'll bogey 18 if you look at the scorecard and think, oh, oh, just one thing. But if you play to where you walk off the 18th, like you're going to the next, next tee box, and they go, no, 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 the round's finished. You shot 65. That's when you stay in the process without thinking about what that end is. It's also, you know, I don't know about, about, about you. It's that long view, not only of life, but also what you're saying and being obsessed with what you've got uh, in, in front of you, what that play is like it's the first one. 
it's does something that when you get to the proverbial near the proverbial goal line, mm-hmm. you don't get tight because you're going past the goal line. The goal yeah. line is not really the destination. We're going to go, we'll, we'll go another hundred yards, even though we're on the five mm-hmm. sort of mentality. Um, and, and I, I mean, those, those metaphors and things in my own job of those sport metaphors helped me a lot. You talked about preparation. Um, you know, I came in with some natural innate ability to do what I do, but what I really know is I've out hustled, not prepared people. So when it is game, my game day and I'm on set, I'm not working then I'm playing because I've done the work to get to that point. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's such a critical point is, you know, you, you talked about the long view. And it, I always talk about the long game because like the reality is, is that I, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this for a long, long time. I'm trying to do this forever. I'm trying to do it for the next, you know, 15 years of my life, my career, but also the seasons long even. And, 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 you know, we're only in game five where Seahawks are undefeated. Just so you know, I know I'm not sure about your, your Washington that. team, but I know the Seahawks are five. You know, no, but we are not, <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is that there's so much more ahead. And I'll even go back to one of my, highest moments and one of my lowest moments in my career you know we just won the super bowl it's my second year we won the super bowl i get to hold up lombardi trophy and that feeling of of i never forget it was supposed to be snowing in new york city and and the moon sitting right there and it just it's like man there's, there's no snow around it's a perfect night joe namath walks out in his mink coat and he flips the coin toss and peyton manning and chant bailey are walking across i'm like man i'm in the super bowl i'm here you know and and sure Hi. enough like every single movement every single thing just went our way and everything happened and it just you're in it you're so zoned in Next thing you know, we win the Super Bowl, hold the own trophy. Great feeling. I'm already thinking about the next moment. I'm already thinking about, okay, what's next? So then fast forward, you go, you know, we get, have a great season again, we get to the Super Bowl again, get all the way down to the one yard line, boom. It feels yeah. like, it feels like the whole world has changed. And in that moment right there, as I was walking towards the sideline, as things didn't go the way we wanted to, the reality was, is I realized in that moment, God's got something so much more in store, but I'm not going to get stuck on this moment. Right. Because that, that can change somebody's life forever. Yeah. So to me, it's really, how am I going to propel and use this? Like I used the trophy before. How am I going to yeah. use this to motivate me to keep going and keep being the best version of myself and, and everything else? And even my language and how I speak and remaining neutral in the midst of it all was such a critical part to, to, to overcoming and being honestly where I am today in year nine and sitting here and being able to feel yeah. confident enough and, and, and feel that where I know I'm the best version of myself today than Heard. I even was back then. Heard. Yeah. Heard. It, it's a, it's a tough thing to have that sort of awareness to be that conscious and to be that patient in those moments to trust, you know, trust is a big word. Trust, as you said, that God's got long, bigger plans and longer plans. Trust that, Hey, this does not, this moment does not define me. Just like last year winning it is not my definition. Yeah. You know, I'm in the process. This is part of it. I know I had a similar feeling when I uh, won the uh, uh, Best Actor Award. Mm-hmm. It really, it was a great seminal, great seminal moment in my career. But I never had the, ah, I mm. did it. I have arrived. This is my destination. Now what? I never had that feeling. Um, now, you know, question is, I don't know if I worked on not having that feeling to, to get to that point by through, through habits. I don't know how much of it was in me. Um, I just never, uh, even, the, even the best times, just like some of my worst times, I never really have felt in them like, oh, this is it. I will dwell on this. This will define me. If it's something like winning the greatest trophy, Lombardi trophy or the Oscar, or 
the pick that goes the other way and you lose or my doggone dad passing away. I never felt like, ah, oh no, it's over. It was always, life's always felt like a verb to me. Yeah. And whatever I'm, whatever my career, what I'm working on feels like, no, it's always going. And if, you know, when you say the long term, you want to do it 15 years, you know, 15 more years, who knows with technology, maybe do it longer than that. You know what <laughs> I mean? Um, but yeah, that long game and to keep that view, I think that's a good thing to, 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 that, that people can better understand. And I know I try to work on it as much as I can. Yeah. I, I think about too, is, you know, you talk about, you know, winning the best actor and everything else. And, you know, what is, what is, what is that process like when you know you've nailed a scene? Cause I think about football, I think about baseball when you hit a home run is like that, that, that feeling of throwing a touchdown, you know, the ball's in the air and, and even in the process of movie, which movies take forever to do. So as you talked about yeah. a little bit earlier, but that whole process of it all, but, when you feel like you've left it all out on the line yeah. and, and you've you did what you had to do, you know, to becoming the best actor, walk us through that, the process of that, but also the feeling of, you know what, before even any awards come out, before anything comes out, I know I kicked ass. Like what, what, what was that like? Yeah. What's that like? So what I've, what I've learned and I started learning this about 17 years ago in my acting. Um, and I go back to that preparation. Um, you know, I had a natural ability to act, but I didn't know what I was doing. So the mm -hmm. first five years of my career, I was just had a natural ability and would show up. But then I started to learn. Well, now I'm going to take classes. Now I'm going to meet with a mentor about acting. And as you know, there's a learning curve when you have to sit down with that playbook or you're learning a brand new offense. It, does, it doesn't become instinctual. It takes a lot of intellectual process to get it down into our bodies to where we don't have to think about it because we don't want to be thinking on the day. No. Right. You want to be in the moment. Yep. So what I learned is to start going, okay, I'm going to be so prepared. My, what I call is my job is to go tell the truth on my man in front of the camera between action and cut. Well, I want to have four different truths I can tell on my man. So whatever anybody throws at me, I'll call the proverbial audible. Let's go. You don't need to yell cut. Let's roll. It's live. Again, show up on set like the camera's already rolling. It's live when I walked out of my trailer. It's on. It's not an audition. You know, I worked with this one director that said the rule was before we started, he goes, gang, everyone, you're going to get one take. There's no take two. Wow. Now that could make you feel one of two ways. Oh, oh no. <laughs> or, well, here we go. <laughs> it's on. Yeah, yeah. And I luckily I was able to tap into that second part of going, it's on. There is no audition. Don't hold anything back. You better get in tune right now and express it and do it and not act like one. Be one. Now I can feel when I'm when I'm hitting it on the screws. I can feel, like you said, when you release it, you've seen the completion. And I remember Tom Brady told me that when I asked him, what does he do? What is it? This is probably 17 years ago. What is it when you're your best? He goes, Oh, anticipation. Everything slows down. Before I've released the ball, I know if it's been caught, I know if it's a first down, I know what the next play is going to be. Yep. And and so, you know, when I've when I've hit it in 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 in, in acting, when I know. Um, I'm on it. My main thing is checking, did it get recorded? Because mm -hmm. it has to be recorded. And if it's there, is it, has to, it has to go through an editing process. So it's not as immediate as what you do. It has to go through an editing process. And then a year later, it shows up on the screen. Now, hopefully they've captured that truth of the raw emotion that I performed at the time. And I've been in a lot of movies that I think did. Um, but I, I can feel, I, I can feel it when, when, when I'm on it. Again, I don't feel like it's work when I'm on it. And I'm also not thinking. And also I have very little tension 
Um, for me and my job, when I'm on my proverbial field, I'm set, it's being free without tension and poised enough to be in the moment. And the days just all of a sudden show up and they go, it's over. And I'm like, wait a minute, we got, is it lunchtime? They're like, no, it's six o'clock. We, we already did that. I'm like, oh, okay. See you tomorrow. I love it. it. Well, I, I think that idea of what you talked about, one, telling the truth, like, I love that vision. I'm, I'm going to start using that. I'm going to steal that from you. But I think, I think the idea of, you know, every, you know, as an actor and being the the man that you're supposed to be in terms of that role in particular is telling that truth. And, and I think even from, for me, as I play, it's, I, I've always said this to, and I've been saying this a lot recently is that if somebody gets to see me play one time, in their lifetime, one time. And really COVID really woke me up to this and everything going on in America. But if somebody gets to see me, we played in Miami, for example, or all these different places we get to go. And obviously there's not as many fans are there anymore. So to me, it's, if somebody gets to see me play one time, one time in their lifetime, I want them to remember it forever and say like, you know what? Like that was the greatest player I've ever got to see. That, that was, right. that, there was something different about him. There was something that was unique. There's something that, Every play, he left it on the line. Everything he did, he brought all of his energy, all of his juice, everything, they, every play, no matter how good it was or how, how tough it was or whatever it may be, mm -hmm. like, he, he really cared about what he did. And I think that when I watch you and, and Dallas Buyers Club, for example, and just what you had to go through physically, I mean, I, I think about that physically. I, mean, I, I think about me training and having to gain weight, lose weight, do all that stuff, run in the, in the training process for that. I mean, what... The, the 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 sellout that you have to you have to sell everything out to just to be physically like that but then right. also mentally to stay to stay there yeah. and to be able to walk off the bus as you mentioned or get out your car and be yeah. you're already on i i love yeah. that understanding i think about the fourth quarter i think about the fourth quarter because sometimes people you know, i look forward to the fourth quarter i look forward to when the games we're down we got one minute and 54 seconds to go all right, sweet. Here we go. You get a buzz? It's, oh yeah, I, I'm already. I've been buzzed. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm already, yeah. I'm already there. I, I've been thinking about this. This is the this is the greatest moment right here. That this is the time where greats show up. Mm -hmm. That's the fun. I've always thought that. I thought that when when you're, when I'm down, when the, when the score is against my eyes, and the moment here is like, okay, this is what's going to make me great. This is going to make it's easy because it's easy to make your layups, but it's tough when you have to make the game winning shot and then situations fourth and 10 or, you know, whatever the situation is. Do you feel like an underdog at all in those moments and like that? Or do you feel like, no, this is the time where I really show how much of a champion I am? I don't feel like an underdog at all. Okay. I don't, I don't okay. ever feel like an underdog. I, I, I feel okay. like, I feel like this is my going to be one of my greatest moments. And, and what I've understood is that it may not always work. But in that moment right there, when I'm when I'm doing this scene or this this moment, this play, this is going to be one of my greatest moments. And I think that understanding of that and, and appreciation and vision of that, because that self-talk, that vision, I've already played it over my head of how it's going to turn out. I've, I've already visualized what this scene or this play is going to look like so many times over again that I've I've lived it. I've been here. Right. I've, I've been here all week. I've been here all season. I've been here all year losing my dad, the things that I've had to go through and different things like that. Personally, in my life, my family life, I've learned how to propel those things into, you know, I, propel those things into my best, my best version of myself. And right. in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the moments, okay, now here, here's who I'm going to be. Here's, I'm going to show up today. And, and I think that, like I said earlier that, you know, we talked about earlier, that obsession, that obsession with doing it over and over and over and over and over and over again. I, yeah. I already know they're going to be tired by the time I'm even just getting started. 
You know what I mean? And and I think that that's a, that's a winning feeling. That's a, that's an amazing feeling to know that I can use all that, that life history and that experience to, to propel me to be successful. Well, have you earned that by some of those going through some of those hardships you were talking about? Like, you know, you lose your father. I lost my father. I lost my father five days into doing my first show days confused when I was excited, most excited and turned on about my life. Yeah. Wow, this is the this is the number one thing in my life. I think I found something I might want to pursue as a career. Boom, my dad passed away. Well, that immediately becomes number one, mm-hmm. the most important thing. Yeah. And when that became number one, and me going back to act or became number two, or when I look at my family now as number one and my acting is number two, it doesn't mean that I don't go give as much uh, um, credit to the acting when I'm doing it. it actually allows me to do that better, to do my job better because of that, again, that long view, knowing it's sort of the permanence and impermanence of what we do and that play to go, I'm going to play like this the first time every single time. And this is who I am. At the same time, I can only realize that when I understand that, oh, well, my career is actually number two to my family or to the death of my, how I felt with the death of my father. Um, I just find that pri- where priorities are, have, uh, um, having acting as number two when it comes down to it has allowed me to be a better actor. Yeah, I didn't put good. as much pressure on myself in situations. Now you yeah. tell that, to, you know, you, you, I don't know if you, you, if it's misread, if you misread what I'm saying, you would say, oh, well, you don't work as hard for what you want to do for number two. No, no. it helped me be work harder and more clearly because I felt exactly. like my priorities were straight. No, I, I, that's a beautiful vision. No, I, I think that I had somebody really, really wise once tell me, it was Daryl Green, actually, he talked about, you know, the five Fast priorities. The, yeah, five, the five priorities you had to have. And he said, the number one thing that you have to have, and you, have to, you can only give 100% to these five things. And it was something like this. He said, the number one thing is your faith. Your, your guy, what you believe in. Number number two is your wife, you know, giving 100% to her. Number three was your family, your kids. Number four was actually your occupation, your job, what you do. Right. And, and it wasn't necessarily that number four is a bad thing, but those three things are going to yeah. be the only thing that you can take with you, right? And then number four was your, you know, your, your, your occupation, your job, you're obviously playing the game and being great at that and giving it 100%, 100%. Yeah. Number five was your community. And huh. giving back, the idea of giving back, the idea of servitude and all that. And so, you know, speaking of giving back, you know, you've you've now written this new book, which I'm fired up because uh, today is technically Tuesday, but this is coming out Wednesday. This is this today. And so you know, we got green lights and uh, green lights, I, 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 green lights okay. baby. Let's, let's talk about this new book because green light says so many amazing things. I, I want to hit green lights. I hate hitting red lights. I don't want to hit any red right. lights. I don't, I don't want yellow lights. I want all green lights. So talk to me about this book. I, I know it's a playbook. Talk to me about what it is and what it's, what it's meant to you and give, give us a yeah. little uh, description. So I've been keeping diaries for or journal for 36 years since I was 14 years old. And I've got stacks and stacks of them. And finally, I went away to go see what the heck they were. Um, I came away noticing that there were stories, people, places, prescribes, poems, prayers, and a whole lot of bumper stickers. Then what came out of those was this theme of green lights. I noticed how in my life with my choices and trying to live by the values that my parents taught me, I noticed that I had actually engineered green lights for my future. Yeah. I, 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 I noticed that choices I made today gave me delayed gratification tomorrow. Investments in myself and what was important to me today bought me freedom in the future. Mm-hmm. I noticed that 
certain red and yellow lights, crises, hardships that I went through, revealed lessons learned to me later on in life that became green lights, that I wouldn't be here, as we were just talking about, without certain hardships that were yellow and red lights in my life, unless I had had them, because I wouldn't have respected myself or life in the right way if I didn't have those hardships. I learned that um, when you are catching green lights, you know, I've had, I've had times in my life where things were going so well, I was like, is this legal? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and to go, and I've learned that I have no, that's not my right. Uh-huh. That's not my right to say this is as good as it can get, or this is as good as you can be. That the ceiling, that the ceilings that we put over, that I put over myself, that some people put over themselves, those are man-made things. Those, those are not, and, and, and that's not our place as spiritual beings to put a, a, a man-made roof over our, our own potential or what we can do. Um, so that's where green lights is about. Green lights do say go. They affirm our way. They pat us on the back and say, boy, yes, freedom, carry on. We love what you're doing. The red and yellow lights slow us down, stop us sometimes. But the sooner we can realize that there's a green light asset coming out of every red and yellow light we have in our, in our life and go, this is here for a reason. I'm put through the target for a reason. The sooner we notice that lesson, that's when those red and yellows turn into a green light. So that's sort of the basis why there's all three greens, because all my belief is that eventually in the rearview mirror life, every red and yellow will turn green. So, so first of all, it's an amazing description of the book, and uh, congrats to you that it's out today. It's Thanks. such a blessing. But I, I think about uh, also, too, is, you know, when you think about just putting this book together, why now? After all the years you've had it, like, yeah. talk to me about why now and why it's so significant for you. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've never been a one, never been one for sort of numerology. I mean, like I've never been one for like, oh, well, I'm 35. You know, I thought I'd be married and have kids by now or, oh, I'm 50. But I think subconsciously coming, coming on 50 years old, which I am now about to be 51, sort of just gave, I had a courage to go, well, let's be retrospective for a second. Let's have a look in the past because I'm not a rearview mirror guy. I'm forward. I'm the same way. All right. You can tell me what I did later. Like I like making my movies more than I like watching them. I like the process, man. I don't like looking back and go, oh yeah, way to go. And I don't like I just so I don't ever really like looking over my shoulder and try to live a life where I don't even have to look over my shoulder. But coming on 50, having a family of three, three children and my wife, I think I got the courage to say, hey, let's really have a look at your lineage, Matthew, how you got here, because it does inform of where you're going. And if you understand where you came from and you know where you want to go, that's for me when I can be more present in the in the present situation. So I got the courage to go away and see what was in there and wanted to see what was in there. There were things I was embarrassed about, but most of the stuff I was embarrassed about, I laughed at. There were things I was like, oh, I thought I'd feel shame for. Most of the things I thought I'd feel shame for, I'd already forgiven myself or have forgiven myself for. Um, and then the other thing I noticed is that this essentially – the same things I was interested in as a 14-year-old young man, how to be my better self, how to pursue and interrogate and investigate myself, my greatest investment going forward, how to, how to re- continue a relationship with God and, and, and live a life. Even at 14, I was saying, how can I live today where I can look forward to looking back? Um, I noticed that that same 14-year-old boy was thinking about the same things that this 50-year-old man's thinking about. Essentially, I was the same young man. I'm still the same person. My questions have evolved now. I have more answers to questions that I had then, but I have no fewer questions. Yeah, They're just evolved, more evolved questions. Again, I have not landed on a destination and gone, ta-da. 
I now I've got it figured out. And I'm, I go in the book often and say, look, I, I, there's a lot of good wisdom in the book as well as the stories, but on the wisdom stuff, I go in the book and I say, look, I have not made straight A's in these. <laughs> I mean, I've made some B's, C's, and I probably flunked a few, but <laughs> just stay in the process, mm-hmm. stay in the game, stay, stay in the race, commit to the chase, chasing our better selves. And that's what I've been trying to do. And that's a lot of that's what's in the book. So last week is in the books. Now it's time to review the tape and prepare for this week. There is no better place to get in all, all the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To add to this week's excitement, DraftKings has a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs. If you haven't tried DraftKings yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, pass, and catch means more with DraftKings. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching the game quite like having a shot at millions of dollars in prizes. And for everyone who is looking forward to this weekend's UFC 254 fight, be sure to check out DraftKings MMA Contest. Download the DraftKings app now and use code DANGERTALK. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes this week. Don't miss out on the Week 7 action. Enter code DANGERTALK to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. That's code Danger Talk only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I think about also too how you and I kind of relate because of your dad. And, you know, I lost my dad in 2010. I was 21 years old. Um, and just the, you know, I was 21 with my father. Yeah. So what was crazy about it is, is that you and I have a lot in common that sense that you know, my dad taught me so much about life. He taught me about this idea that, and they used to always talk about this thing where he said, you know, son, it's not the the day that you were born. It's not the day that you die. It's the hash mark in between. The hash mark in between. And that measures a man's significance of what you really did in life. And and that hash mark can not only affect what's happened before you, but more importantly, it's what's going to happen ahead of you. And, yep. and and the next generation of people and who what what could they say about you and how would you affect who'd you change and that could that hash mark could be positive or negative and how are you going to use yep. that and so I think about you know you you have a great quote in this book that I really love um, and, and you talk about it and it says talking about you know losing my father like it is for so many was was my most my most seminal uh, rite of passage into manhood I, I love that and you say it's no more safety net. You say no more safety net. And right. I think about that. So how did your, how did your dad change you? How, how was, how was he such a, a, a critical part in, in your life? And did he give you any, there's those nuggets of information that, that you can remember back to? Yeah. Well, he, he, he instilled the values in me and I'll, and I, and I, I go to the, I always tell the stories of how I was disciplined yeah. because I seen his love stories, meaning, you know, I only really got in trouble from him for saying the word C-A-N-T hmm. instead of I'm having trouble. I got in trouble from him for lying. I got in trouble from my mom for not answering to my name um, and answering to another name. And the fourth reason, like the four times of discipline where I got the belt was for saying can't, lying, saying um um, I hate you. I use the word hate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I got, I got my butt whooped uh-huh. for it. And so, and not listen to my name. So if you look at those reasons that I got in trouble, you can say other words and get your mouth washed out with soap. But you say any of those words, 
can't hate or, or or don't listen to your don't listen to your name or lie. It was a it was pretty severe discipline. The values were instilled in those words because what did I learn from those? Oh, all right. Don't hate. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good value. You know, um, say you're having trouble doing something and understand you're having trouble doing something instead of saying you can't. That's a good one. Tell the truth and answer to your own name. So there were values instilled in the lessons in, in, in the lessons we learned. And they were. They, and so he instilled those in us. He moves on from this life. I thought he was like a lot of people think of their father, an immovable force. I mean, the abominable snowman, immortal. Wait, nothing could could kill him. What do you mean? He was only 62. What? Mm-hmm. But he was gone physically. Um, it quickly hit me that, oh, I need to grow up. Um, my safety net, the things that I relied on my father, those values that he instilled in me, maybe I was only making bees in them in my life while he was alive because he was there. He'd have my back in case I fell or in case I stumbled. But now that he was gone, it was like, you better start making straight A's in those, McConaughey, those values that he instilled because He's not there. He doesn't have your yeah. back. He's no longer here. So it helped me become a man. And I talk about it in uh, um, one of the first lessons that came from that to me was to just keep living and that uh, um, he was physically be gone, but I could still keep his soul and spirit alive. Still continue to talk with him, pray, see him in my mind, enjoy, try to imagine him enjoying what I'm doing. And another one was become less impressed and more involved. And that is a, another way of summing up what you and I've been talking about here for a while. I was, a, before he passed away, I was much more of a boy, revered mortal things in life, fame, money, people, wow. I also was patronizing and condescending a lot of things in my life, putting them down, oh, they're not worthy, yeah, sloughing them off. Well, when he moved on, all those things I revered and looked up to mortally came down to eye level. All those things I was looking down upon, patronizing, rose up to eye level. I remember going, the world's flat, I see further, I see wider, I see clearer, here we go. Get your head nod high. Walk forward with courage and quit auditioning. Yeah. Well, uh, well, uh, in life, yeah, I think what's one of the things I always say there, there is no dress rehearsal in life. There is no dress rehearsal. Like this is it's now it's right now. And so live. Yeah, we're live now, you know, so, you know, you also talk about Mama McConaughey, too. She's she's quite she's quite in the yeah. book quite often, which I love. You know, I think about my relationship with my mom. It's going back to that, uh, those disciplined things that your dad you know, taught you. And if you say I hate you, that all those kind of things I got. I still have a I still have a bruise on my chest from my mom hit, you know, hit me square in the chest. And because I said I hate you, you know, when, when I'm really young. And, right. Yeah. So like those those That's a good reason to get yeah, a bruise. Right? I, I still feel it today. I don't know. But, you know, I, I think that one of the things that you talked about your mama, too. Mama McConaughey, what what kind of lessons did you learn from her real fast? Well, she was the queen of relativity, meaning I mentioned earlier, you know, when I'm griping about not having a new pair of shoes, she's grabbing me going, oh, yeah, let me introduce you to the kid with no feet. Whoa. (laughs) Talk about rearranging. That's like my mom, too. You know what I mean? Uh Yeah. And then, you know, coming to breakfast, maybe a little grumpy, she'd immediately go, get your butt back there embedded. Don't you come in this kitchen until you see the rose in the vase instead of the dust on the table. Whoa. Okay. So she very much instilled in us the baseline gratitude of, hey, you weren't guaranteed another day. You weren't guaranteed that the sun was coming up this morning. So if that happens, which it just happened again, you better damn show some gratitude for it. So she leveled us very much like that. She also was someone who, you know, for me being an actor, I never watched TV growing up, really. 
I never read much. She was one who, if it's daylight outside, you get your butt outside. And I remember saying, why? I'm not going to let you sit here and watch somebody do for you what you can go out and do for yourself. So she was very hands-on, like, go out, go experience it. You know, go get your, your bruises and your scars. Go fail. Go negotiate life. And then, you know, come back in at sundown. But not, you're not, not, you're not going to be around the house watching something happen. Um, she also, <laughs> she was wild. She'd also tell us things like, you know, if we were ever, like I remember before my Time to Kill audition, mm-hmm. biggest audition I've ever had in my life to get that role. I called her before I went in and she repeated something she would tell us as kids. And it was just what I needed to hear. She was like, oh no, honey, don't you walk in there like you want to buy the place. You walk in there like you own it. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, yeah, here we go. It was like the confidence booster I needed at the time. And it had been so many times throughout life. She's a, she's a, uh, um, she's 88 and, 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 lives off of gratitude, lives off of the word yes, lives off of affirmations, mind over matter. She's beat two types of cancer on bare aspirin. Amazing. I don't know the science behind how the heck that worked, but she did it. Mind you, she wouldn't even tell us she had cancer at the time. So she's, she's a, she's, she's a, uh, she wrote a book herself. Actually, it's not the first book out of the McConaughey family. Greenlights is it. She wrote a book and this will sum up kind of who, who she is in her mind, which is awesome, titled, I Amaze Myself. <laughs> <laughs> Mama McConaughey is on it. She does amaze herself. Yeah, Mama, Mama you know, McConaughey now, is yeah. on it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. She's got, I got to be around her a little bit. She was, And she's got a big crush on your coach. Oh, she does, huh? Like, your co- hey, like, she's got a big crush on you. Oh, he's so good. Uh, no, he is so You good. know what's so funny <laughs> about like, that? Like, that gum on the <laughs> my, my grandma, Carolyn, she's, she's 89, I think. She has the biggest crush. She's like, so. Tell, tell my baby I said hello. Tell my baby I said hello. Like, oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, yeah. Let's hop into this conversation real fast about legacy. Before we bring Jeff Dye back in, let's yeah. talk about legacy. Just uh, your last chapter, uh, you know, called uh, it's called uh, Live Your Legacy Now, which I love in, in, in Green Lights. Yeah. If you guys are just joining, you got, you got to listen to Green Lights, uh, you know, listen to his new book, uh, download it, uh, read it, buy it, whatever it is. But, uh, you know, I think it's such a critical chapter. Talk to us about that chapter. Why is that? Yeah. So... You know, we were talking about, you know, a while ago about the long view, and that's been coming up as sort of a a theme in each one of these topics we've been talking about. So to be more present and being more in the process of our lives now, I think it's a really useful tool to jump ahead and say, I'm going to die one day, going to have a eulogy. That story, my story is going to introduce me forever after I'm gone. Mm-hmm. So let's be conscious for a second and say, well, what the heck story am I writing? And who's writing it? Uh, well, you are. Each one of us are writing our own story. So what story are we writing on the way to that eulogy? I'm big on write, sometimes writing the headline first and then writing the story. Yeah. Now, I do that. I may get there and the headline might change a little bit, but it's going to be ge- usually generally about what I was kind of hoping it would be. Legacy choices. What are the choices we make now that talk about delayed gratification, the ultimate delayed gratification, our children and how we raise them, who they become. That's our greatest legacies. What are the things, the choices we can make now that will live on after we are gone? What are the choices we can make now that we can hand off to our kids and they can hand off to their grandkids and so on and so on and so on that ultimately make us immortal, which is, I believe that's what happens when we have children. Actually, a father and a mother become immortal in ways. 
um, almost literally, if they, if, they, if they have grandkids and their grandkids have kids, it goes on and on and on. Um, so think about what are those choices that are going to be lasting. That's what I mean by the green, there's certain kind of green lights we have in life that are maybe battery powered, meaning they're stops, not stays. Yes, they affirm our way at the time, but we know they're not really going to last. <laughs> yeah. But boy, if we can get plugged into those solar powered green lights, make those choices that are going like, oh, those are going to burn on and shine green long after I'm out of here. That's the legacy choices, the, 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 the infinite green lights, the ones that will shine after we are gone. And it's something to consider, you know, with, with it daily. And it's not, I never thought of it as a sort of morose thought to think about death. It's one of the one things we can rely on, leaving this life. And so to think about it and go, well, that's happening. So if I'm there, if I'm going to put myself there and say, what's that story being told and know that I'm the author of what that story will be? It does a lot for who we are and the choices we make today. And we start making long-term choices that not only can pay us off now, but will pay us off and our kids off and generations to come. Well, yeah, I mean, I love that. And you, you have an amazing quote in your new book, Green Lights, that's, uh, that's one of my favorites. You, you say, we have to prepare to have freedom. We have to prepare to have freedom. Yeah. We have to do the work to then do the job. We have to prepare for the job so we can be free to do the work. I, I absolutely love that. And I think about all of that you're talking about there and just, you know, I think about the family part too. You talked about your kids and how that's affected you and how that's changed your life. And I think it's such a frequent topic that I like talking about because now having three kids, I'm a stepdad too as well. But, you know, I, I just always knew that I wanted to be a, a dad. And I think you too as well. I think what's your favorite part about being a father and how that's affected and changed your life and also, also your perspective on life and what you're doing and how you've done it? Yep. Well, one of the things, and you said it earlier, um, about going out every play is the first one. Yeah. For our children, every day, as they after they come out of the womb, it's their first time every time. That's a good point. And even though they may be experiencing something that we as their parents go, oh, well, I, let me tell you how to do this because I've gone through this many, many times. It's their first time. So to some extent, we want to nudge them in the right way and so they don't go through some of the, maybe the hardship we did to, to achieve that. To another extent, we don't want to do the job for them because it's going through some of those hardships, getting some of the bumps and bruises that made us into our better selves today. So that walking that line with my, with my kids is really fun. I call it like, you know, limbs on a tree. You know, children aren't afraid to, to, of heights until they fall. Yeah. So if they're out there on a limb and it's, you know, however many feet up and it's over the grass, over a grassy lawn and they're walking out on the edge of it and you're like, eh, it's a little, getting a little high, but if they fail, they may just get some bumps and bruises. Probably good to let them walk on that limb. But if they get up to a limb that's so high, we're like, no, this could be really, really harmful. That's when you got to step in and go, hey, I know you're not afraid of heights because you've never fallen, but why don't you come on down? You know, so when do we help them out? When do we nudge them? When do we keep them out of harm's way? How much do we throw in front of them what they love? I think that's a simple question to, that we forget sometimes to ask our kids. Is instead of what do you want to do or this, that, when they're young, ask them, what, what do you love doing? Yeah. And how can we put more of that in front of you? And try it all right now. You don't have to decide right now if you want to be this or that and the other. I tell them all the time, heck, I was 21. I didn't know what I wanted to do. An opportunity showed up and I found what I wanted to do. I also talk about this. It's easier to figure out who we're not than it is to figure out who, we're, who we are when we're growing up. So by process of elimination, early on in our lives, if we're not sure what we want to do or who we are, 
Just get rid of the things that don't feed our good wolf. Get rid of the things, the people, the places, the, the habits that we have that are not feeding our true self. And if we keep eliminating those things, all of a sudden you find out what's in front of you by sheer mathematics is more things that do turn you on and feed you and are what you want to be and who you want to be. Oh, that's amazing. That that's fun dance and art that I'm having with our children. Right now. Well, I also think about, you know, some of the goals that, yeah, you know, cause I was so goal oriented growing up and my parents kind of gave me that vision. I think you talked about, you know, part of being a great parent and part of, you know, grandparents, I think about my grandparents, even though they're no longer here, they're almost immortal to me. But I think some of the things that I, I think about is, goal setting and just how that's changed my life and I, and, and everything else. And I know in green lights, you talk about, you know, 1992, how it's changed your life and you have this, uh, you know, awesome, awesome chapter right here or, or page right here. It's actually PS at the very end there. It's one of my yeah. favorite parts yeah. of the book, but you talk about PS and uh, one of my favorite parts is you have these 10 goals uh, in life. And I, I got to read these goals because these are absolutely, I wrote it in 1992. 1992. I, I, that's, that's what I'm reading. It's September 1st, 1992. These are Matthew McConaughey's 10 goals in life. And so if anybody's listening to this, well, I know there's a lot of people listening. You, you guys got to, I mean, you guys got to write out your goals. Go, be goal oriented. So this is Matthew McConaughey's 1992, September 1st, 1992, 10 goals in life. Number one. Okay. Number one, it's a great goal. Become a father. Number two, find and keep the woman for me. That's a big one. That's a big one. Find and keep the woman for me. Number three, keep my relationship with God. The spiritual part, so key. Number four, chase my best self. I love that. Chase my best self. Number five, be an egotistical utilitarian. Love that. <laughs> Number six, take more risk. For all those kids out there, take more risk. Number seven, stay close to mom and family. Know where you came from. Number eight, win an Oscar for best actor. Number nine, look back and enjoy the view. And number 10, I love this one. This is just keep living. Just keep in living. Just keep on living. So I, I just, I just, I just love that. And, uh, you know, these goals. And I, I think for anybody who's ever seen you um, act, ever listened to you uh, as a professor, or, you know, at UT talking to the, to the class or, Anybody who's ever been around you, I think that they know that you've always been a visionary, always been a person willing to go the extra mile and been so dedicated to others. You know, your, your, your heart to be able to, you know, give and serve and to love and to all those different things that you've been able to do. And through the, through the highs and through the lows, which you talk about in Green Lights and all the things that you've been able to do in your new book. But I just, I really love that about you, man. It's been an honor just thinking about that and just these, these 10 goals in life. And so, um, what I want to do is I want to, I want to write out my new version of my 10 goals in life too. And, uh, when I, when I get these, my, my newest version of my 10 goals on, you know, October 20th, the 21st of, uh, you know, of, you know, of 2020 through everything that's going on, I want to look back, you know, when I'm 50 and say, you know what, that's what I wrote when I was 31. And I think that's such an important thing for us, for us all to do. No matter if you're 15 years old, listen to this. No matter if you're like Livingston wanting to play in the league one day, or you know, or or if you're somebody who's you know like you're like like Mama McConaughey who's 88, she just keeps on living. And I just love that uh, about her and about you and just about what you mean to us. And so, man, I, I'm really inspired by you. And uh, if anybody, uh, you know, anybody has listened to this, make sure you tell your friends. Make sure you first of all, but make sure you tell your friends to get Green Lights. It's an amazing book. You know, and uh, I know we got one more uh, fun little segment here before you take off here. I'm going to bring my guy, Jeff Dye yeah. back. Jeff, you there? 
Jeff Dye, you there, my friend? We're gonna, we're gonna do this thing called I'm a two here. minute drill. Okay. I'm here. I'm okay. here. Just had to touch the screen. Okay. Here we go. So uh, Matthew McConaughey, we we got this two minute drill. Obviously, you you see me play ball. I I love the two minute drill. I love yeah. when the game's on the line, and and I know uh, we're gonna have some fun here. And and uh, but you know, Jeff, do, do you have any anything at all for you know before one one or two questions before we we hit this thing? You know, I think. Yeah. I, I love listening to you guys. I think everything you guys said was uh, very inspirational for sure. And that's the whole point, but also like there is a deeper kind of faith stuff that's shining through that, which was very inspiring for me to listen to. And there's, there's definitely a higher power that has helped all these people be such big influences in your life. And I know the moms and the dads and all this stuff is, is huge, but also God. And, and that stuff is important to hear. And I think it's, it's, I like when people who are cool, like Matthew McConaughey and a Russell Wilson aren't afraid to like talk about that stuff and let that stuff shine. Because I think that that, Sometimes the impression of a of a of a religious person or a spiritual mm. person or or a, a man of God is some guy in a collared shirt, you know, who does errands for his wife, and he, he's not the coolest kind of guy. So it's, mm -hmm. I think it's very beautiful to hear you guys talk about that as people that we look up to and like and want to be like. And I think that that's very powerful. Uh, I also you got brought up a lot of hardships. I wasn't expecting Russ to bring up that Super Bowl against the Patriots. So I got a little long branch right here to get me through because that was a that was a little tough for, for me. Yes. I didn't know you're gonna I already blocked all that out, Russ, and then you had to bring it back up and I don't like looking in the rear view either. Um uh, I'm gonna ask a hard hitting question for you right here, Matthew. Yeah. Uh I know you run barefoot. Are you barefoot right now? Yes. <laughs> Are you? Russ, are you barefoot right now? I know we got a photo uh, of it on the uh, Instagram of you being barefoot. I'm barefoot in my house, baby. I got, I got good. Feet. I love it. We're you know barefoot. I mean? I'm barefoot, We're baby. Barefoot, I'm barefoot. Baby. So listen. I did that. Oh, those toes. Those toes, Jeff Dye. Yeah. Zoom, so baby. let's hop into this two-minute drill All real right. fast. And uh, Jeff Dye, take it All over. Right. Tell, tell them what we got here. All right. So here's how it goes. Matthew, you know Russ is the king of the two-minute drill. And uh, and it's, it's basically I'm just going to put two minutes on the clock and you answer first. Russ will answer second. He has no idea what I'm going to be throwing at, at him. I know you don't know what I'm going to be throwing at you, but I'm going to give you a thing. You just give me your quickest answer. Yep. All right. Sound good? Let's do it. Russ, you ready? I'm ready. To? Let's go. Two minute drill. All right, man. Here we go. Put two minutes on the clock and we start. All right. Truck or sports car? Truck. Truck. Okay. Surfing or skydiving? Surf. Ooh. I would say skydiving. Okay. True detective or surfer dude? True detective. True detective all day, baby. <laughs> all right. Would you trade your Oscar for Russ's Super Bowl ring? Same question no. in reverse for Russ. No. It's not mine. I would I wouldn't either. I, I want I want to one day I want to be like Matthew McConaughey and earn my own one. All right, fair enough. I thought that'd be more exciting. All right, best Austin barbecue spot? Franklin's. Wherever Matthew McConaughey goes. Ooh, all right, good answer. All right, finish this famous quote, Russell. All right, all right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> well, finish this famous Russell Wilson quote, Matthew McConaughey. Every setback has a major... Set up. That's <laughs> major. No, comeback. That's Vince Young or Colt McCoy? I think Vince Young was my, one of the greatest college backs ever. Um, 
It was 14 versus 11 when sometimes when he was on the field. <laughs> That's a good point. I'm going Vince Young. Okay. Uh, when you're gambling, the over or the under? I'm an under guy because I like believing the defenses sometimes here. Okay. Uh, and I know, I know America loves the over because it's more entertaining. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm an over guy. I'm an over guy. Yes, you are an over guy. <laughs> All right, World Series, Rays or Dodgers? This year, Dodgers. I wish the Strohs would have been in there playing them, but I'm taking Dodgers. I'm going Dodgers. Okay. Ten seconds. Your favorite movie that you're not in and then your favorite Matthew McConaughey movie. Uh, Raising Arizona. <laughs> Good one. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Just amazing acting. Just All right. Incredible. I hope he makes a Seattle Buyers Club. I've been waiting. I know he doesn't do sequels, though. Hey, that's two minutes. Thanks for doing the two-minute drill, baby. This was fun. I love it. I love it. Well, Matthew McConaughey, it's an honor, man. We're excited about your new book. And one last question for you, Matthew. Uh, last thing. You have, do you have one here? We do this segment uh, talking about heroes, everyday heroes. Do you have one hero? Um, we have this company called Good Man Brand where we give out Good Man Brand and it's uh, awesome, fashionable mm. stuff. I'm actually wearing a, a, a green shirt right now for, for Greenlight's book. But uh, we want to give something away to somebody who's been a hero for you or that, that you've been around. Anybody that you can name? Someone's been a hero for me. Look, I, I'm going to say my middle brother, Pat. Okay. He's been my good luck charm all through my life. Um, you know, he's the one who taught me how to dance, gave me my first beer, taught me how to, how, how to drive, took me when my good friend had a good friend that got killed in a car wreck. He's the one who took me to my first concert, even though I didn't want to go. He's always been my, 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 my good luck show. All right. Well, uh, so my well, Pat, you're a hero, man. We're grateful for you. And we're going to send you a little good man, Brandon, uh, Matthew, we're going to send you something to make you look fresh on set maybe, right. but, uh, man, it's a pleasure. It's an honor, uh, to have your, your, your new book and everything else. And just so exciting with green lights book. Make sure you guys get it. Make sure you guys, uh, read it, check it out, tell all your friends and everything else. And, uh, such an exciting time, uh, man, I'm for you. I'm proud of you and just all the things you're doing. And, uh, let's make sure that we go on that double date sometime and, uh, Hang out. Get your, get your book right here at Greenlight's book. Check it out. Matthew McConaughey. It's an honor, man. Thanks for being on Danger Talk, brother. Awesome. I appreciate it. Love watching you do what you do and how you do it, sir. All right. Keep All on. Right, baby. Keep on. Just keep living, baby. I'll see you soon. Yes, it's a sir. pleasure. <laughs> how about that interview, Jeff Dye? I mean, I think about Woo! I think about who Matthew McConaughey is as a man, as a person, as, as such an influential uh, actor you know, winning an Oscar, all, all the things. I mean, I think about Dallas Buyers Club, that, that amazing movie. And uh, I think about True Detective, one of Sierra and I's favorite shows. Um, but his new book, you know, Green Lights, uh, is absolutely amazing. You guys have to check it out. Uh, it's really, really special, really, really cool. Uh, so it's a really great book. And just I, what, I, what I loved about the conversation, though, um, was just his understanding for experience, life, viewpoint. I love how he thinks about what's ahead and not what's necessarily behind and how he continually tries to find these green lights in life and, you know, transferring those red lights, maybe in your past or even right now and those yellow lights into green lights and making it all turn for your good. And just his faith was amazing too, as well. And, uh, I just, I really appreciated that conversation because, you know, anytime we can have a guest like that, Matthew McConaughey, for example, who's so influential in so many different ways, it's powerful because, you know, people can be inspired by him, no matter where you come from, no matter, you know, what your experience is or whatever it may be. Um, we can all have green lights. And I think that, 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 that was a really amazing, amazing conversation. Jeff, what do you think, man? I was, it was awesome to listen to, but also just, I think one thing you have in common with almost every single one of our guests is like, 
your guys, you guys are so mentally strong. And I think that that's something that whether you, wherever you work or whatever you do, like it's something people need to learn is that mental practice. And I think that's been good for all seven episodes of just like what you and your guests do is you get dialed in here before you get dialed in here or here or here or your legs or whatever. Uh, it's, and this is just another week of the exact same thing of a guy that's just so mentally tough, even before he was successful or wealthy. I don't know if successful is the right term, but even before he was famous and even before he was a known name. So it was really cool. And I love that. Um, I mean, I haven't read the book, uh, but I love that even his goals in 92 were to be a father or to be faithful to a woman he doesn't even know mm -hmm. yet, just to find that woman and be faithful to her. And then also to, I just, I think, that kind of stuff is is awesome to hear. And also, you know, that's why this is so cool that we're doing this podcast uh, together with that I get to hear you every week talk about stuff that we don't just see on a football field. And it helps me remember that, you know, you're not just a football player. You're, you're a child of God and a man. And, and same with Matthew McConaughey and same with all of us. So it was really cool. I was really, uh, it was really fun to listen to. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And just thinking about those 10 goals in life. If, if you guys... Uh... And Jeff, I, I challenge both of us to write our, our 10 goals in life. Uh, it's 2020. It's important to write your 10 goals of life and how we can help, you know, impact the people that were around. Um, you know, I think that he did it. I'll just use his. <laughs> I just, I'll use his. Yeah, they, 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 they're both kind of aligned. You guys kind of have a little similarity, you know what I mean? But I, <laughs> but I think that, um, I think that's, uh, that was an amazing conversation. Make sure you guys check out his book, Green Lights. And how about next week? Okay, so. Yeah, what, we going to tell I mean, him? We're going to tell, tell him who it is? I think we should tell him because this person is um, the number one legend of the game. I mean, I of football. I mean, we had Matthew McConaughey this week. Uh, which is an amazing conversation about legacy, life, success, one of the best actors of all time. This guest coming up next week, Danger Talk Season 1, Episode 8, Joe Montana, the one and only Joe Montana. Uh, he is going to be here. We're going to be talking about success. We're going to be talking about the quarterbacks, old school quarterbacks versus new school. He was my favorite, favorite growing up. My dad used to love him. I, him and Jerry Rice, all the amazing. But Joe Montana, you know, uh, the ultimate champion. Uh, I'm excited just to have these conversations. He's a brilliant mind, obviously super competitive, just as, as, as good as it gets at his position, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I really look up to this guy. And so I've been around him a bunch, um, you know, and just seeing him at Super Bowls and, you know, he wears that jacket so well. And, <laughs> you know, so I'm excited. And, and guess what? The, you know, next week, too, is uh, 49ers Seahawks week. So it's going to be a little I interesting know, little, uh, you know, and I don't think he's a Seahawks that's fan. That's the thing. I'll talk to I'll talk to Joe Montana, you know, about, you know, he's a legendary quarterback, a, a star for the Chiefs, and then he also played for that crappy team in San Francisco that I won't speak the name of, but, uh, you know, I'll be respectful when he's on. Well, <laughs> listen, I'm excited about this conversation just because uh, Joe, um, you know, is is somebody I've always wanted to be like, an ultimate champion, ultimate winner, and so this is going to be a great conversation, but, uh, so we're on fire, man, with Danger Talk, you know, from Shaq all the way to, you know, uh, John David Washington to to, uh, you know, obviously Randy Moss and Chris Paul and so many others. I mean, Candace Parker was amazing. I think about all the people that we've had. We had Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, last week. We had Kid. Matthew McConaughey this week. And, uh, you know, Joe Montana, episode eight. So I'm excited, man. It's such a, a blessing to be able to do this and just to be able to hopefully inspire somebody and hopefully continue to 
I want to keep hitting some green lights and just keep on living. So uh, let's let's keep doing this, man. And just Amen. let's uh, keep inspiring people. And I'm grateful for you. And this has been a blast. And uh, thank you, Matthew McConaughey, if you're listening. Yeah, you're the best at what you do. And I can't wait for that that double date. Me and Sierra fired up about it. And uh, you know, and maybe you can find a date or two, Jeff. But anyways, this has been great. I'll stop. <laughs> this has been great and uh, excited about this, man. And to just keep let's keep going. Let's keep just keep living, baby. Just keep living. As in the words of Matthew McConaughey, episode eight coming next week. With Joe Montana, Russell Wilson, Danger Talk. We're here, and uh, my guy Jeff Die. So this has been fun. Thank you, thank you, thankful for you guys, and let's keep going. Danger Talk. We out. Thank you guys so much for listening to Danger Talk with Russell Wilson and my co-host Jeff Die. Make sure you guys subscribe every Wednesday. We'll be right here for you guys with a great guest every week during the football season.